Parkview Church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have arrived in the final chapter of the book of Acts. It is something we're celebrating. Praise the Lord. We have made it to Rome. And uh, summary of what's happened, right? Chapter 27, Paul is delivered from the storms and the shipwreck. He finds himself on the island of Malta. He takes then a sea journey from Malta, makes it to Rome, and while in Rome, he speaks to the Jewish leaders about the gospel of Christ. So the gospel has made it to Rome. And this is very significant in the whole of the book of Acts because remember the promise of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we've mentioned it numerous times as a preaching team. Jesus says, you will be, it's a promise, you will be my witnesses and you'll bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, says Jesus. And so here it is in Rome, the center of economic, military, political power in the first century, and yet we see the gospel of King Jesus surging forward. It's an amazing story. I hope you have loved it. And this week, if you want more of the details of the passage of, of chapter 28, I recommend the group's podcast that are wonderful Pastor Thomas Hoke's been working on as, uh, as well as his team. And this past week, Thomas gives more details. We're not going to actually look at the whole of chapter 28. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I want to reflect together on the final two verses of Acts 28 because what it is, it's, it's Luke, after he completes the story of Paul proclaiming the gospel to the Jewish leaders, he gets to chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. And in these two verses, there's actually one sentence. He summarizes the whole of the book of Acts. Chapter 28, 30 to 31, the whole book of Acts in one sentence. Paul's in Rome for two years under house arrest. He's in house arrest, meaning he's chained to a guard right now, a Roman guard. And yet here's what's happening. He's welcoming all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Welcoming all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the book of Acts in a summary. King Jesus, without hindrance, welcomes to himself all sorts of people through the bold preaching of his gospel. That's what the book of Acts is all about. King Jesus, without hindrance, welcoming to himself all sorts of of different people through the bold preaching of his gospel. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a helicopter ride, okay? We're going to lift off of Acts, the launch pad, so to speak, of Acts 28, 30 to 31, and we're going to hover over different passages and then land at different areas and reflect together on three truths that we learn about Jesus. Three truths that we learn about Jesus, that if we're going to be a church making whole disciples of Christ for the glory of God. That's our, that's our mission. That's what we're aiming at as a church. We're going to be that church moving into the, into the future. What we want to do this morning as we look at the whole of the book of Acts is to remember as we look back about what we learned about Jesus that will empower us and encourage us to be the sort of people in Christ who make whole disciples of the Lord. So we need to look back and remember who Jesus is so that we can move forward. And that's what we're going to do, remembering three things about Jesus. Number one, that Jesus is hospitable. 
Number two, that Jesus is king. And number three, that Jesus is unhindered. Jesus is hospitable, welcoming all sorts of people who come to him. Jesus is king. He delivers his people from our greatest enemies. And third, Jesus is unhindered. He overcomes every hindrance to spread his kingdom to the ends of the earth. Let's pray as we look at Acts 28 and the whole of Acts together. Father, we now come before you in so much need of the Holy Spirit that you pour upon your church so that we would see Jesus, your greatest delight and passion is for needy, weak, sinful, broken men and women like us to see your son Jesus. That is what you are aiming at today, Father, through your word. And so we need help from your Holy Spirit to behold Christ, to see Jesus and all of his loveliness. Or we want to be the church that proclaims boldly a King Jesus who is so strong and who is so durable and who is so wonderful. But to do that, we must see Jesus. So help us now from the book of Acts to behold one last time all of the, the wonders and the glory of your son Jesus, we pray, for your glory and for our good. Amen. So Claire and I are expecting our second baby boy come May 8th. Very exciting. Yes. And uh, here's what's happening as the final weeks approach. To move forward as parents, to do this parenting thing well, the second baby, we have to look back. We got to remember a few things, right? Or many things. We have to remember how to get the infant child baby to go to sleep, which some of you are laughing because you think, good luck with that. We have to remember the details of diapers and diaper cream and bottles and baby clothes. The list goes on and on. We have to remember that stuff. We have to think back. We had our first boy, Haddon. What did we do again? What did we need? What needs to be in the crib? All that stuff. And then we have to remember how to maintain sanity as parents, as we have three hours of sleep every night. Woof. Now, some of you probably giggling, laughing, because actually you're in that right now. We have uh, many parents in here who have little children, and you're not sleeping very well, and you're just like, ha, 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 just wait. But to move forward as parents, to do this parenting thing well, we have to look back and remember a few key things that we learned when we had our first son. And we need to do the same thing as a church. The same dynamic is true of us to move forward as a church, I said before, to move forward as a church in the coming months and years, to be faithful to the mission of Jesus Christ that we see clearly laid out before us in Acts. To do that in the future, we have to look back in the whole of Acts and just remember yet again the Lord Jesus Christ that we encountered in verse after verse and page after page and chapter after chapter. The three things again, Jesus is hospitable, Jesus is king, and Jesus is unhindered. Let's look at the first thing together. Jesus is hospitable. Look at verse 30 of Acts chapter 28. What is Paul doing? It says that Paul's welcoming all who come to him. He's welcoming all who come to him. Luke here, in one little phrase, is giving a major theme that we've seen in the whole of the book of Acts. Now, this is obviously about Paul here in verse 30, but remember who is writing Acts, a man named Luke. And Luke wrote a gospel, a gospel being a biography of Jesus. And the gospel of Luke is to provide us a clear picture of who Jesus is. 
and what Jesus does and what Jesus values. And what do we learn about Jesus? One of the things, and I learned this, I'm fascinated by this. In Luke 9, there's a word used, welcome. It's the same word that is used of Paul in Acts 28. It's the same word then used of Jesus in Luke 9. And it's used of Jesus as Jesus welcomes a crowd. And as he welcomes the crowd, Luke 9 says that he teaches them the kingdom and he cures and heals those who needed healing. Now, what sort of welcome then does Jesus give to people like us? Think about the person in your life who's most hospitable to you. Think about the person who invites you over for dinner or who invites you for a meal and your feeling of safety and welcome and freedom and just kind of relaxation in their presence, right? The person who's most hospitable to you, when they open the door, so to speak, to welcome you in, they're not disgruntled. They're not disappointed. They, they light up. They light up because they love you and they love welcoming you into their home. And here Paul welcomes all who come to him and it's because Paul knows the Lord Jesus Christ who opens the door of his heart. And as we peer into Christ, we see that he delights in welcoming us into relationship with himself. 17th century theologian John Owen says it like this, one of my favorite quotes in all the world. I love this quote. Listen to this. It's talking about Jesus here. He says, It is the gladness of the heart of Christ, the joy of his soul, to take poor sinners into relationship with himself. Jesus delights in this relationship from eternity. That's the Jesus who welcomes all sorts of different people. And just think of the types of people that Jesus welcomes into relationship with himself. And we see it in the book of Acts by who the church welcomes through her doors, so to speak. Here we go, helicopter time. You ready? In Acts 2, the people welcomed at Pentecost from all over the world, speaking so many different languages that the Lord Jesus pours out his spirit and then his disciples are proclaiming the mighty acts of God in their specific languages. Amazing. Acts 3, Jesus welcomes a paralyzed man. Acts 6, Greek widows are welcomed, those who need help and financial assistance in the church community. In Acts 8, a black man from Ethiopia is welcome. Acts 9, a murderous Pharisee named Saul who hated Jesus, he's welcomed. Acts 10, a Gentile Roman military commander. Acts 16, a powerful businesswoman, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a man who works for the county jail. Now, if there's anything that begins a joke, it's something like that. Jesus starts a party, and guess who walks in the door? A powerful businesswoman, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a man who works for the county jail. Am I right? But here is Jesus in the book of Acts throwing the most wonderful gospel party by the Holy Spirit's power through his church. And as the, door, the doors open wide, look who enters the door. Some of the most messed up, broken, strange, hated even, we think of Saul and what he was doing. Those sorts of people. Those sorts of people Jesus gladly loves to welcome 
into his church. And that's why Paul is welcoming all who come to him. And that's why we, Parkview Church, as we move forward, and we think of the different people in our community, some of which we disagree with fundamentally on certain issues. The Lord Jesus Christ has shown us from the book of Acts that he does not play favorites when he welcomes people into his church. He does not stiff arm anyone who would come to him in repentance of turning away from sin and trusting in his power and his sufficiency alone. Jesus does not deny anyone, and therefore we should not either. Because what our community needs most, what Iowa City and Coralville and North Liberty and Johnson County needs most is the glad-hearted welcome of Jesus Christ for a multitude of broken, messed up, strange people who need to refigure out their lives at the deepest level through his mercy alone. And the way that they discover this Jesus is through us as church and how we treat them and speak to them as coworkers and relate to them over the fence as our neighbors and invite them over for dinner for the barbecue during the summer, if summer ever comes. And the list goes on, brothers and sisters. The Lord Jesus delights in having relationship with the most broken sort of sinners. And you and I know that because that's who we are. And so who are we to clog up the mercy of Jesus Christ by not welcoming certain people into the gospel that we might disagree with politically or whatever it is where we think, ah, I'm not that person. That's not how the Lord Jesus treated us. No, he gladly welcomes us. And therefore, like Paul, we too, welcome all people as we move forward together as a church in the coming months and years. That's the first thing we learn about the Lord Jesus from the book of Acts, is he welcomes gladly. He's the most hospitable person in the universe. Second thing we learn about the Lord Jesus is that he is king. This probably is the theme of the book of Acts. Jesus is king. Verse 31, Paul is doing what? He's proclaiming the kingdom and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are two sides of the same coin. Because if you're proclaiming a kingdom, well, a kingdom means a king, and then Jesus is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ meaning the anointed one of God who is the king of God's people and God's world. Now think about what a king is. What does a king do? At heart, at, at bottom, what does a king do? Well, all the great children's stories, and if you're a child here this morning, you know this to be true. All the great children's stories show us what kings do. I think about Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia. The worst kings or the worst queens are like the white witch, right? Their kingdoms are cold. It's always winter. It's never Christmas. They're severe and harsh. They're shaming those who fail, using people for their own power. But the best kings are like Aslan, warm, strong, and kind, dignifying those who are weak forgiving those who fail and who even are traitors, empowering people with his power to make a difference in the kingdom. What does any great king do? Well, two things, right? First, a good king defeats the bad guys. 
And the second thing a good king does is bring in the good stuff. Defeat the bad guys and bring in the good stuff. Love, peace, prosperity, freedom, life. There's a uh, great quote about what happens when Aslan is finally coming onto the scene in Narnia, and it says this, Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. What's happening in the book of Acts is that the church is proclaiming that Aslan is on the move. It's spring again. And the great enemies of God's people sin and death and suffering and evil and Satan, they are being crushed under the feet of Jesus Christ, who is king. And we see this, don't we, in all of the sermons, Peter and Paul in Acts 2 or Acts 3 or Acts 13 or Acts 26, what are they proclaiming over and over again? The heart of their message is, yes, Jesus is crucified, but more than that, he was raised by the power of God. And in the resurrection, what the resurrection is in Scripture is the bolding and underlining and italicizing that Jesus is king who defeats sin and conquers Satan and is overcoming suffering. And not just the sermons about Jesus in the book of Acts, but the healings. I mean, we don't have time to go through all of them, but think about how many healings happen, healing of physical pain and suffering, casting out demons. What's going on in Acts is this. The great King Jesus has arrived. The King who's made this world, the King who loved this world, though it has been broken and twisted and jacked up and messed up by sin, that great King has come into his world, and there shall be spring again. Jesus as king means that all that is twisted and dirtied and broken, Jesus comes to untwist and rinse clean and put it all back together again. Parkview, in the resurrection of King Jesus, a new creation has dawned in our king. And remember how we see this in the book of Acts, helicopter, ready? In Acts 2, what do we see? A sermon that Peter gives to people that are guilty of crucifying the Son of God. And what Peter declares to them is forgiveness of sins. We see the cleansing power of King Jesus. In chapter 3 in the temple, the paralyzed man is healed and jumping for joy. We see the power of King Jesus. In chapter 4, we see poor people dignified in the church community, as the church shares generously their resources to those who have any need, we see the generosity of King Jesus. In chapter 7, as Stephen is dying, as his brain and body are being nailed and pelted by rocks and stoning, he's marveling at the glory of Jesus which shows us that for, for any of us, all of us who one day will face death, it is the glory of King Jesus that sustains us through our darkest moments. Lost and confused people believe the truth of King Jesus. We see that in chapter 8, and Philip explains the gospel. Acts 17, Paul explains the gospel to the intellectual elite of Athens. We could go to chapter 9 or chapter 16, where the demon-haunted girl, the slave girl, Child slavery 
oppressed by a demon, she is set free and she's restored by the power of Jesus. Or think of chapter 19, the whole city of Ephesus revived through the mercy of Jesus. The list could go on. Here's the point, Parkview. Acts shows us that Jesus is the king who makes us really human again. He brings our humanity back. He brings your dignity back. He gives you your sanity back. That's what Jesus is doing. In a world full of death, Jesus brings the kingdom of life. That's our king, Jesus. The book of Acts proclaims a king and a kingdom that's reversing and restarting the whole cosmos, including your life with his joy and his freedom and his healing and his glory forever. He is the invincible, durable strength, nuclear-powered Savior King. That anything sad in your life, as Tolkien said, everything sad will come untrue. That's the resurrection of our King Jesus for your life right now. And you know what happens? When a church beholds such a beautiful king, a church can't help but speak boldly about such a king. If you see beauty, you will speak boldly. That's how it works. We all know this. If there's a young man or woman in here who's falling in love right now with their high school sweetheart, we don't have to come alongside that young person and say, hey, let me give you seven tips to, you know, when you're around people, here's how you might speak about how wonderful your girlfriend or boyfriend is. You don't have to teach them or equip them or help them do that. They just will do it because they've fallen in love with this person of such beauty. And as we see King Jesus, as we see Aslan on the move in the book of Acts, healing and restoring and giving people their dignity and humanity back, we fall in love with Jesus. And when we fall in love with Jesus, someone so beautiful and so precious to us, you can't help but speak about such a lovely Lord Jesus. Now, looking back, we've seen two things about Jesus. He welcomes all sorts of different people because he's the most hospitable people, person in the universe. And the second thing we've seen about Jesus is that he is king. He brings the Narnia of heaven into our miserable world of suffering and sin. But there is a third thing that we see about Jesus in the book of Acts that's shown to us in verse 31, and it's that Jesus, this King Jesus, is unhindered in his work. Nothing can hold back our Lord Jesus, from accomplishing his purpose of grace in your life. Verse 31, Paul's proclaiming King Jesus with all boldness, without hindrance. Without hindrance. In the Greek, it's actually one word. Some of your translations might say unhindered. And here in the final word, the final word, of the book of Acts, what Luke gives us is what we might call the greatest kingdom irony that we saw played out in every chapter, almost every chapter of Acts. Because here is Paul chained to a Roman soldier under Roman power and oppression. But Luke says the gospel of King Jesus is moving forward unhindered. From a human vantage point, Paul is very much 
hindered. Yet from the kingdom perspective of Jesus on his throne as king, no hindrance, says Luke, no hindrance, unhindered. In Parkview, therein lies one of the deepest glories of the book of Acts. I think for me personally, this is the thing that got me most excited in the different sermons I preached as your pastor. I think this reality for me was just stunning and breathtaking. I can't, I can't believe how amazing Jesus is sometimes. Wow. Think with me. Okay, here we go. Helicopter time. Think of me, about, with me about all the hindrances that we've seen in the book of Acts. There have been so many. Acts 2, the hindrance of the language barrier in Jerusalem. How do a few disciples who speak Aramaic, how are they going to speak to people from Egypt and from all over the world who are there who need to hear about King Jesus? How that happened? That's a hindrance. Acts 3, there's a paralyzed man sitting, down, sitting there outside the temple gates. That's a hindrance, a physical hindrance. Acts 6, the Greek widows not feeling cared for by the community. That's a, that's a social community hindrance. Acts 7, Stephen killed, or Acts 12, James killed by Herod. The death of key leaders in the community, that's a hindrance. Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas have such significant conflict and disagreement, they have to part ways in their ministry. Leadership conflict in the church, that's a hindrance. Acts 16, a young girl in child slavery, possessed by an evil spirit, social evil, and Satan oppressing. That's, that's a hindrance. Then just think about the false accusations and imprisonment and persecution just in Paul's life that we saw uh, beginning in chapter 19 all the way through till he gets to Rome. Political persecution, that's a hindrance. And then, of course, you could add just the natural shipwrecks and the storms and the disasters. And he gets bitten by a snake at the beginning of Acts 28. Having a rattlesnake bite you in the hand, that's a hindrance. And then, of course, in light of the rest of Scripture, you and I can fill in the blank with our hindrance, can't we? That hindrance that wakes you up at 2.30 a.m. and why you can't go back to sleep. That hindrance with a child who can't get their act together. That hindrance with those finances that overwhelm you most of your life. That hindrance with ongoing signalness and the agonizing loneliness that comes with it. The hindrance of ongoing marital strife and the agonizing regrets that comes with that. The hindrance with mental anguish that some of us suffer under so often that we don't really want to get out of bed in the morning. What's your hindrance? What Acts has shown us is that there are many, there are many hindrances that oppress and harm God's people. The people of King Jesus face many hindrances. And you know that as you sit there in your seat this morning, don't you? But praise the Lord for the book of Acts that shows us an all-conquering, mighty Savior, Jesus, durable strength, titanium strength, nuclear-powered Savior, who can overcome 
any hindrance in your life, and he's working all things for good for those who love him. And you love your Lord Jesus. Just think with, with me here, brothers and sisters. Acts 2, that hindrance of the language barrier, it's not a hindrance, is it? Because Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit on his people and they proclaim his works in many different languages. Acts 3, the physical man, the man paralyzed, that's not a hindrance, is it, to King Jesus? Because he has power to heal. And one day we know that he will bring a new creation where he will heal your deepest physical wound. Acts 6, the Greek widows not being cared for, social hindrance, but not really actually a hindrance to King Jesus because he establishes a leadership paradigm with elders and deacons. And guess what happens? Chapter 6, verse 7, the church grows. Not a hindrance to King Jesus. Acts 7, death of beloved leaders, Stephen. Acts 12, James killed. Tragic lament, surely, but not a hindrance to King Jesus because in Acts 8, after Stephen's death, the gospel spreads to Samaria. And then in Acts 12, after James's death, the church prays all the more fervently and the gospel spreads. Chapter 13 and onward, Paul brings the gospel to the nations. Acts 15, the leadership conflict, remember that one, that hindrance? Not a hindrance for King Jesus because Paul goes to that way, and Barnabas goes that way, and more people get to hear about the awesome power and saving mercy of Jesus Christ. That young girl in child slavery, remember that hindrance? Not a hindrance for King Jesus because he rescues her through the power of Paul. And, and what happens after that is then Paul and Silas are put in prison, and what happens in the Philippian jail is that they just keep speaking about Jesus, and guess what? The Philippian jailer is rescued. He almost commits suicide because he thinks his life is over, but he's rescued from that because of powerful King Jesus, and then his household is saved because of powerful King Jesus, and the political persecution, and the shipwreck, and the brokenness in a world of suffering, and all the hindrances that we face, but the truth is, what Acts presents to us is that though the pain of his people is real, it always leads to the proclamation of our King Jesus. That's how good he is. Jesus right now, in your hindrance, is working that for your good and for his glory. That is what the book of Acts has shown us. If our sins are many, Christ's mercy is more. If our weaknesses are many, King Jesus' power is more. If our sufferings are many, the comfort of King Jesus is more. Whatever we face in our life as a hindrance is not a hindrance to our King Jesus. And you and I know this, don't we? At the deepest level, you and I know this. Do you know why? Because in the Gospels, we look at our King Jesus and what he experienced as we think of what hinders God's work in our life, actually is the means by which he's accomplishing his purposes, we look at our king. Our king who has his hands and feet nailed to a Roman cross of execution and torture, suffocating under the judgment and wrath of God for sinners like you and me. The cross of Christ, there is no greater hindrance in the universe than being crucified, naked, 
to be publicly shamed before the world. That's a hindrance. But Parkview Church, what was God doing in the hindrance of Jesus on the cross? Well, it actually wasn't a hindrance, was it? Because what God was doing was he was accomplishing his great kingdom plan to draw sinners and sufferers like you and me into his kingdom of life and forgiveness forever. The hindrance of Good Friday became the glorious victory of the Son of God and resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. King Jesus right now, Parkview Church, do you know this? He is alive and there is nothing hindering the rule and reign of our King Jesus. Our risen and reigning King Jesus is right now proclaiming his kingdom over all of this earth. And right now there are multitudes, multitudes of sinful men and women coming into his kingdom. Jesus is proclaiming his gospel boldly through his church. He's having a blast. There is a joyful, cheerful smile on his face as he is grabbing miserable, suffering sinners like you and me into his arm, welcoming us deep into his heart. He is king over them and protecting us and will one day bring us to our future promised inheritance of heaven forever and he is working all things for good in any and every hindrance. That is what King Jesus is doing right now. That is what the book of Acts is all about. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Though our hindrances are many, King Jesus' power is more. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and love you because you have given us King Jesus. It's spring again. Narnia has arrived. Heaven, heaven's love and fullness and glory and beauty has invaded this miserable world through the rule of Jesus Christ. And yeah, we face hindrances, but Father, we know a Jesus who, though crucified, he was raised by the power of God. You've raised him, Father, from death, and so we just worship you now, Jesus. We say we love you, Jesus, and if we're going to be a church moving forward, boldly proclaiming this Jesus, we must look back and just remember from the book of Acts how wonderful you are. Our hindrances, sins. There are many, yes, but your mercy and power is more. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.